Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Welcome all of you worshiping at Center Street Church this weekend, uh, all those of you at our South Campus, at our Airdrie Campus, our Bridgeland Campus, Northwest Campus, and at our Central Campus. Now, I'm not sure how many of you were able to make it to our Christmas uh, concert productions last weekend, but it was such a meaningful uh, time, a meaningful service, and I want to publicly thank our choir and our orchestra and our soloists and our... <clears throat> Our amazing soloists, our amazing actors, our technical teams, our children's ministry volunteers, our ushers and our greeters, and boy, everybody that was involved. It was just a meaningful moment for us to remember to celebrate Christ, no matter what the circumstances that we find ourselves in in our lives. Well, many of you know that we used to live in Kelowna, and uh, having lived in Kelowna for a period of about 13 years, I know that people believe in unbelievable things. You see, it is believed that Ogopogo lives in the Okanagan Lake. And Ogopogo is about a 40 to 50 foot long uh, snake-like water creature that inhabits the lake. And um, there have been no recordings of people being eaten by Ogopogo, bitten, or boats that have been capsized or damaged that it's been done by this sea creature. Um, people have seen Ogopogo. There's been some video footage that has been captured to suggest that Ogopogo does exist. Please, nobody, go on Google right now or YouTube, you know, to, to search out these videos. Do that after. But there are fully grown adults that believe that the Ogopogo does exist. Now, we expect children, right, to believe in unbelievable things. We do. Our children have imaginary friends. They believe in Peter Pan or Tinkerbell or the Tooth Fairy or Santa Claus. Our children believe that their dads are the strongest dads out of any other dad. Our kids believe that. And that point is awesome. My point is this. Children have a greater capacity to believe in unbelievable things. Greater capacity than we as adults do. Something strange happens to us as adults. We, we grow up. We mature. We lose our imagination. We maybe don't have as much fun as we used to. And we only believe in those rational things. Those reasonable things. Those scientific things. Those things that there's hard evidence to believe in. That's what happens to us as adults. About a week and a half ago, my daughter <clears throat> wrote something and put it on our fridge in our, in our kitchen. This is what she wrote. She's, she writes, I am loved by God, Olivia. I'm loved by God. 
And we would all say, Olivia, God does love you. You are so precious to him. He loves you so very much. He cherishes you. He's so proud of you. He loves you, Olivia. Children believe that God loves them. But I have talked with a lot of adults. Adults who are followers of Jesus Christ. Some adults who do not follow Jesus Christ. Don't believe in Jesus Christ. But I've talked with so many adults that find it hard to believe that God loves them. They find it hard to believe this truth. And maybe we all do at one time or another. Maybe we, we all struggle with this belief, this truth, that God loves us. You see, as Christians, some of the core things that we believe, we celebrate at Christmas time that Jesus came to this earth. We believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he was crucified on a cross, he was buried, that God raised Jesus back to life, that Jesus right now is in heaven waiting for his father to give him the instructions to return to this earth and then those who believe in Jesus will live with him forever. We believe that. That is core to the Christian faith. But if we back everything up, it all starts, it all begins with this truth that God loves, that God loves us. There's this familiar verse to many of us that says this, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves. And yet we find it hard to believe in this, in this truth. Maybe you find it hard to believe that God loves you, you individually, you personally, you, you personally, that God loves you. Maybe you find it hard to believe that. You know, maybe we can wrap our minds around God loves the world. I mean, this world is so big and objective. Maybe we can believe that God loves poor, the poor, those who are poor. Maybe we believe that God loves children or God loves someone else, but we find it hard to believe that God loves us. And maybe because it's be the things that we've done in our life. We haven't done some good things. Maybe we feel like we are unlovable. Maybe we feel that God sometimes loves us, but other times he doesn't love us. If we're good, he loves us. If we're not good, he doesn't love us. Maybe we feel that God is annoyed with us or just, you know what? He puts up with us, but doesn't love us. Maybe because of the circumstances of our lives, what has happened to us, just the way that life has gone. We we look at the way that our lives have gone and we just draw the conclusion, well, this has all happened to me, so therefore I conclude that God, he must not be for me. He must, maybe he's against me. He's not for me. You see, and this morning, my desire is this, that you would believe, not just in your head, in your heart, you know, these six inches, but you would believe in your heart. And I know our head and the heart is the same thing, right? But we would believe and experience that God loves us, period. And there's a statement that I want us to look at, and it's this, that God has given us a great love. That's the truth that I want us to look at. And then I want us to reflect on a question. Are we living as God's children? So I want us to look at this statement, this truth, and then leave us with the question. 
So turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. It's near the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. Because if there was ever a person in the New Testament who knew that God loved them, I think it was John, the Apostle John. This is what he says. See. Other translations may say, behold, but see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him. What's happening in this passage here, in this text, is John starts out writing. He writes the first chapter. He writes the second chapter. And then he gets to this point in his, what he's writing, and he sort of just explodes. He goes ballistic. He, he, he just uses some outrageous terms. He goes on a rant, really. He gets loud and expressive here. You can see that in the punctuation here with the two exclamation marks in this sentence. And the words that he uses are just big. It's almost like he's shouting out in amazement and wonder. See what great love the Father has lavished on us! Exclamation mark. You know, and that is what we are! Exclamation mark. The truth that John gets so excited about is this. God has given us a great love. A great love. The word lavished jumps out to me. Because it's a word that I don't use very often. I don't know about you, but this word lavished, it means given or gifted. Another translation may use the word bestow. It carries this meaning that someone has something in their possession and they bestow it, they gift it, they give it to the possession of another person. And what John is saying here is that God presents to us, he gives us his unconditional, his never-ending, his never-lessening, his always-pursuing love. That's this lavish love that God gives to us. And you see, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. The best picture of an idea of this lavish love that we could see in our day and age today is what happens between a husband, a groom, and a bride, right? When they're getting married, the husband will give his love to his bride. The bride will give her love to her, hus- to, to her groom. And the way this love is given is this love is given so freely. This love is given unconditionally without expectation of a return. This love is given for life. This love is given no matter what the circumstances are that the couple will experience in life. The love is just given. This love is given knowing that it will require sacrifice. You see, when love is expressed, when love is given, there's always, always sacrifice. There's always a cost attached to it. A groom and the bride give their love in this way to one another that it permanently changes their relationship, permanently changes the other person. The other word in here in this text is the word great that is so interesting. It's, it's an idiom. And I didn't know what an idiom was. I had forgotten that. But an idiom is an expression of our English language when we say something like, it's raining cats and dogs. We don't mean it's raining cats and dogs, but it's an expression Right? Or, or when someone says, well, you're barking up the wrong tree. Or when someone says, you know, I 
killed two birds with one stone, or I'm, when you're beating around the bush, right? John uses an idiom here because he's trying to describe something that his words can't really express. And the word great in this passage here actually literally means what country? So John is trying to say this love is not from this country. This love is out of this world. This love comes from another place completely. It comes from a different context. In fact, we don't have a context to understand, to comprehend this breadth and depth and magnitude and capacity of God's love. It is out of this world. It's great. It's so great. And you and I simply need to accept and receive this love that God has given to us. You see, the great distinctive of the love of God is that there's no strings attached to it. God simply loves us, period. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more. There's nothing that we could do to make him love us less. That's the truth. God simply loves us. We were created to be in a personal relationship with him. You see, the Buddhists have an eightfold path to follow. Hindu has the doctrine of karma. The Jewish people have a covenant, the old covenant. The Muslims have a code of law. And each of these religions offer, offer a, a pathway. They offer an opportunity for human beings to earn love, to earn approval. But the God that Christians worship loves sinners, redeems failures. The God that Christians worship delights in second chances and third chances and one hundredth and one thousandth chances. He delights in fresh starts. The God Christians worship never gets tired of loving. Never, never, never. Only God unconditionally loves us. Only God cherishes human beings. Only God forgives all of our offenses and then teaches us how to forgive one another and forgive ourselves. Only God provides for us on our behalf everything that he demands from us. Only God offers the life of his own son for our salvation. Only God persistently relates to each one of us individually with grace. Grace that we don't deserve. And this is the best news that the human race has ever heard of and ever received. This is good news. If Jesus had not come to show us the character of God, we wouldn't know about this. This is the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. Because you see, everything in our universe, everything that's within us, actually tells us that life is organized according to a principle. You get what you deserve. We believe that. That's the way our world operates. You get what you deserve. But God operates on the complete other spectrum where we get what we do not deserve. We get this great love that God has lavished on us, that we could be called the children of God. 
God is not neutral towards you. He's not apathetic towards you. He's not distracted from seeing you. He's not too busy for you. He's not too late. He's not preoccupied. He doesn't have better things to do. He's not displeased with you. The central message of all of the Bible is not that we are forgiven, although that is true. The central message of all of the Bible is not that God is with us, although that's true. The central message from front to cover of God's words to us is that God loves us. That God loves us. And friends, my desire is that you believe this truth. That you let it find its way deep, deep, deep into your heart, into your soul, into your mind. And that you don't live doubting. That you don't live questioning. Does God love me or not? You know that God loves you. I'd like us to do something right now to help us experience God's love for us. And I'd like us to sing this little song that's familiar to many of us. Jesus loves me. I'd like us to sing it in a bit of a different way, though. Because, you see, sometimes we can even sing this song, Jesus loves me, but the me part? You know, we might think, well, it's them, you know, or they. We don't really think it's me. And so what I'd like you to do is take out your phone. If you have a camera, just take it out and get to your camera settings there. If you came with someone that you know really well, just maybe share with them. And I want you to turn the camera so that it's like you're taking a picture of yourself. You can see yourself in, in the camera. And, and maybe some of you have a mirror in your purse. Men, I don't know where you would have a mirror, but maybe you have one this morning. <clears throat> you know, take that out. If you don't have a mirror, you don't have a phone. Then I'd like you to do this right now. I'd like you to close your eyes. In your imagination, go to your house and picture yourself standing in front of a mirror. A bathroom mirror, a hallway mirror, bedroom mirror. You're standing, you're sitting in front of a mirror and you can see yourself in the reflection, right? Have that image in your mind, those of you that don't have a camera or a mirror. And I'd like us to sing, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. So, let's sing together. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. How did that feel? Maybe for some of you it was a bit awkward because you haven't sung to yourself before. Maybe we should do that every day. <laughs> Maybe we should do that every day so we don't forget. I hope, I hope you not only know from Scripture, from John, that God loves you. 
but I hope that you feel his embrace. I hope you feel his embrace, that you know, that you know, that you know that God loves you. So we've looked at this statement that you and I have been given a great love. So we, knew, we move now to this question. Are you living as a child of God? Are you living as someone who has received this great love? You see, we all live out of who we believe that we are. We live out of who we believe we are. We live out of our identity. If someone believes that they are a victim, they'll live their life always as a victim. If someone believes that they are angry, they believe they're an angry person, they'll live out their life as an angry person. If someone believes that they are unacceptable, they will always live their life trying to prove and, and, and gain approval from others. If someone believes in their heart that they have a low view of themselves, then they'll always live out trying to prove themselves worth and valuable and, and have a high view of themselves. We all live out of who we believe that we are. We live out of the labels. We live out of the definitions. We live out of the names that we, we describe ourselves with. We all live out of our identity. And some of us have received some negative words. We've had words spoken to us as a child or even as adults that we have believed, but they're not true of us. And these words have found their way into defining who we are as individuals. Others of us have had encouraging and incredible life-giving words spoken into ourselves. And we, we live then into those words. We live out those words and they describe who we are in our identity. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your teachers or your coach or your parents or your friends or your boss or your co-workers. It doesn't matter who anybody else says that you are. What matters most, what matters preeminently in our life is who God says that you and I are. And he's given us a name. He's given us an identity. It's right here in the text. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called, that we should be named, that we should be identified as children of God. And then in case anybody had any doubts or reservations or didn't really hear John accurately, he says, and that is what we are. And then in verse 2, John again emphasizes, now we are children of God. John is trying to get us to understand we have a different identity here. Names are important. Names are so important. Any parent knows that you spend a lot of time trying to figure out what you're going to name your kids. And maybe a little bit of that time is spent so they don't get a crazy nickname, you know, later on in life. But, but we spend a lot of time naming our children. My wife and I, boy, we spend a lot of time deliberating and praying about what we're going to name our children. And we named our oldest Josiah. We named him after the youngest king in the Bible. 
And this young king, it was said that he loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, his mind, and his strength. We chose this name for Josiah to grow up into. This is what we hope for for him. We named our second Micah. Micah, we named him after a prophet in the Old Testament. Micah was a man whose mission it was to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with his God. This is what we hope Micah will grow up into. Olivia, we named, not a biblical name. Name means peace, but we attached a Bible verse to her name from Zephaniah 3.17. This is what we hope Olivia will know, that the Lord God is with her, that the Lord God is mighty to save her, that God takes great delight in her that God would quiet her with his love and that God would rejoice over her with singing. This is what the verse says. This is what we hope that Olivia will know about her and God. Names are important. And the author of this book, 1 John, he wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote Revelation, but in the Gospel of John, John doesn't use his name, John, to refer to himself in that book. Instead, he uses the phrase five times to identify himself. He uses the phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's what he calls himself. That's what he refers to himself as in the Gospel of John. And some people might think, well, John, that's a little bit, you know, ego-driven that you think that Jesus loved you the best or the most, or maybe might be perceived as a bit proud or arrogant on John's part, but I, I don't think so, actually. I don't think so. I think that John was calling himself, referring to himself by this phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, because he knew the core of his identity, that he was loved by God. I think he was using this name to describe in the essence of who he was, what he, who he was. And maybe he needed to be reminded of this often about his identity, who he was and as a human being. Are you living as a child of God? Or are there other phrases, other names, other ways that you would identify yourself in who you truly are? Are you living as a child of God? You see, in John's day, the Jews had many names for God. Many names for God. Some of them were Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah, and others. And they had many names for God because the names of God communicated the character of God. They communicated what God was like. God was known by the names that he had given to his people. People knew God through his names. They knew what he was like. But then one day, a child was born and grew up, became a builder, carpenter, teacher, And he used a new word for God. He used a new word for God. It was a new word, but it was an old word. It was an old word in that it was a word that infants used to call their dad. The word is Abba. It was an old word because infants, no matter if they could, you know, just start to get out just a few words, they could probably get out this word Abba to refer to their daddy. 
This word Abba is a tender word. It's a personal word. It's an intimate word. It's like we use the phrase daddy. That's what Abba means. But it's a new word because Jesus uses this new word to describe God. Jesus uses this new word as a name for God, Abba. In recorded history, no one, no one, no one had ever used this word for God before. In the history of the world, this was a new word that came onto the scene to tell us what God was like. You see, Jesus lived a new way. He lived a new way in relationship with his heavenly father that he referred to him as Abba. Jesus called God by a new name. He lived experiencing a new relationship with his heavenly father. He, he modeled and experienced a closeness with God that had not been seen by humankind before. The name Abba was the first word on his lips when he woke up, the last word on his lips before he went to sleep. Jesus spoke with his father. Jesus was the child of God. Jesus had confidence in his father. He had access to his father. He received direction from his father. He knew that his father loved him. In fact, we see in scripture that God himself spoke down onto Jesus Christ and says, I am proud of you. I love you, my son. Jesus lived in a new way, calling God Abba, Father. And he did that to reveal to us we can live in relationship with our father. And you see, sin didn't look good to Jesus. As Abba's child, as a son of God, sin didn't look good to him. You know that Satan tried to tempt Jesus, saying, Satan, turn these stones into bread and you're going to be satisfied. Throw yourself from this high place and surely angels will come and catch you and it will be such a spectacle and you will be famous. Satan said, bow down and worship me, Jesus, and I will give you countries and governments and power, and you will be successful. And Jesus said, no, no. Sin didn't look good to Jesus because he was Abba's child. He was a son of God. He was a child of God. It's almost like Jesus says to Satan, you know what, Satan, I don't need to be satisfied. I'm completely satisfied in my relationship with my father. It's like Jesus was saying, I don't need to be successful. I don't need to be famous. I know who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm Abba's child. I'm completely satisfied. I'm complete in my relationship with him. I know who I am. Are you living as a child of God? And you see, Jesus says, you can call God Abba as well. You can call him Father. You can be his child. You can call him Daddy. Jesus says, he will be a father to you like he was a father to me. We are children of God. Children of God, and that is what we are. Look just for a moment in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. God says this in his word. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. 
So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You see, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, when we do that, we become God's children. God's Spirit comes in and dwells us and changes our spirit and renews us on the inside, and some magnificent shift takes place, and things are not the same anymore. And at that moment, God's Spirit confirms with your spirit the truth, the reality, the unbelievable fact that we are God's children. This is a reality. And God does everything for our benefit. God does everything for our healing. God does everything for our freedom. God does everything for our best. He works all things out for good to those who love him, and are called according to his purpose. This is what God does. And everything he does is so that we can know him and grow in our relationship with him. You see, our human hearts are so, they're so fickle. What does a human heart do when it doesn't feel loved? What does, what does your heart do when it doesn't feel loved? When you feel lonely, what does a human heart do when it feels alone and lonely? Some human hearts, when they don't feel loved, they travel around from lover to lover to lover, searching for someone to prize them, to cherish them, to love them. Other hearts that might feel unloved to strive to make as much money as possible in order to show themselves worthy of being approved of and affirmed of, being accepted. Other human hearts that are, feel unloved perhaps sometimes just grow angry and grow bitter and calloused and cold and just end up almost like dead hearts. And you see, with one billion people, with actually billions of people, seven or eight billion people in this world, surely someone must do something for those hearts that feel unloved and are lonely. And the fact is, someone did something. Someone did something for the human heart. God did something. God acted. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. Are you living as Abba's child? Are you living as a child of God? You see, God didn't just write words in this book to communicate to us that he loves us. He didn't write words on a page. He didn't just speak words that don't mean anything. God acted. He acted. He did something. Love always requires action and sacrifice, great sacrifice. And an event took place that proves 
that God loves us. An event took place that shows how far God will go to adopt us, to be his children. And this event is what we celebrate at Christmas with Jesus Christ coming to this earth, living a perfect life, and then ultimately dying on a cross so that we could experience this great love and become God's children. Do you know what love is? Jesus tells us what love is. He says it right here later on in this chapter of 1 John chapter 3. Jesus tells us what love is. He says, this is how we know. How do you know you're loved? How do you know what love is? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we can believe that God loves us. And there's no greater symbols of God's love for us than what we see in the symbols of communion. In the piece of bread and the cup that we'll hold in our hands in a moment, these are physical expressions. They're physical reminders of how great the love is that the Father has lavished on us, that we're called children of God. Pray with me, would you? Our Heavenly Father, We grow weary at times, doubting. We grow weary forgetting how much you love us. It's almost like we're helpless in this way, God. We wake up some days and we, we don't feel loved by you. For whatever the case might be. But God, would you you help us to know and experience each and every day, moment by moment by moment. Help us so that we wouldn't forget as much in the past that you love us and help us to live as your children with no other identity. Help us to understand this reality, this fact. I pray for anybody in this room who doesn't feel loved by you. God, will you minister to them by your spirit so that they know, they know, they know you are loved. Send your spirit. Overwhelm. Embrace hearts. By your spirit, give those a hug who need a hug, your warm embrace that you love them. Father, for those who are living according to a different identity, a different label, a different way, would you reorient all of us to live as your beloved children? Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you that you lived a perfect life so we don't have to. Thank you for dying so that we would know and have a personal relationship with God the Father. We remember your death eating this meal. Show us the condition of our hearts before you. Lead us to confess any wrong that we've done. Forgive us, make us new again on the inside. pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You see, Jesus knew that we would have to be reminded that we're loved by him. And so we come to this table, this meal, and Jesus didn't ask us to eat a piece of bread and drink 
drink a cup of juice just out of formality. He didn't ask us to do this because we have nothing better to do. He did this on purpose. He did this so intentionally in order to remind us regularly with physical things that we can hold and touch and taste to remind us of his great love for us. And so as we come to this table, we are reminded of some things. We're reminded that we don't have to carry around our guilt and our shame anymore. That debt was paid for. We're reminded that we are forgiven. We're reminded that we are not slaves to sin. Jesus Christ has made us victorious over sin. We're reminded that we are not powerless against Satan. He has overcome. We can stand against any scheme of Satan. We're reminded that we have been set free. We have been liberated into this amazing life that Jesus has bought for us by his sacrifice. We're reminded that we are saints. We are saints. We're reminded that we are loved children of God. And so as we eat this meal together, remember what Jesus Christ has done for us and remember who you are. Remember who you are. This meal is for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ who have given control of their lives over to Jesus Christ. And maybe you are here this morning and you have not done so. Then allow these elements to pass by you. Use this time to reflect on who Jesus is. Talk with him, pray with him. If you'd like to talk to myself or one of our prayer partners after this service, we'd love to talk with you about your journey with Jesus Christ. So communion servers, would you come now and serve us? Just come on up to the front. And as you receive the bread and the cup, hold them in your hands. Then I'm going to come up here afterwards and lead us and we'll eat and we'll drink together. But use these moments in worship. Use them in prayer. Use them in whatever way that would be fitting for you to respond to the love that Jesus Christ has shown towards us. took a piece of bread and he broke it and he passed it to his disciples and he said this is my body broken for you eat this in remembrance of me he took a cup passed it to his disciples and he he said this is the new covenant in my blood it is for the forgiveness of all of your sins drink this in remembrance of me and when we hold the bread in the cup in our hands his love gets very personal his love gets real personal because we hold symbols that represent his death we hold symbols that represent what it cost God for us to become children of God it cost God his son so that we could become sons and daughters of him 
Friday, this gets personal. This is a personal meal. The bread and the cup show us that God does not despise you. He does not despise you. He loves you. Shows us that God has not forsaken you. He is with you. Shows us that God loves us so very much. So let's eat and drink, remembering Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Let's eat and drink together. Lord Jesus, we eat this meal remembering what you did for us, and we do so with grateful hearts. Hearts that we just can't express enough. Our gratitude, our appreciation, our thankfulness, the list is so endless about how we feel about you for what you did for us. Words can't express it really, but we feel it in our hearts. Where would we be without you? And so help us to live into that reality. Help us to live into that reality, not only for ourselves, but those who don't know you, Jesus, like we know you. Help us to live in such a way that they would see how much you love, how awesome you are, how good you are. We want to live that way. We want to live that way in this world the sake of our friends, our family, for the sake of a world that doesn't know you like we know you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May God give you peace and so much joy this week as we celebrate Jesus being born. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.